Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we're the Film Flamers. Bringing you our second deep dive of the month for the remake of Dawn of the Dead in 2004. That's right. So we had a conversation about George A. Romero's 1978 classic Dawn of the Dead, and we figure why not just keep moving forward and talk about the remake from uh, Zack Snyder, right? Yeah. Uh, So, Dawn of the Dead is a 2004 American action horror film directed by Zack Snyder in his feature film directorial debut and written by James Gunn of Slither and Guardians of the Galaxy fame. The special effects for this movie were done by none other than Heather Langenkamp. (laughs) I saw that credit and I was just like, what the? (laughs) I didn't even realize that. I've seen this movie like tons of times and I was just like, how can I miss Heather Langenkamp in the fucking credits? Well, I didn't know it was written by James Gunn of all people, right? I mean, like he's big now. He's huge. Well, he actually, so he, he got the first pass at the script and then they got to, they got someone else to come in and sort of finish up because he left to go spend time doing Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Yeah. That's <laughs> what his credits were before. It was the first Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And I have some other fun facts about that later. Um, and so Heather Langenkamp and David Leroy Anderson, they both co-own AFX Studios. So that was, that's just bizarre to me, but you know, I love, awesome. I, I don't love know that it. they have more credits than that. There was no link to AFX Studios, so maybe it's still around. Who knows? But they did a good job. That's a neat, nice little uh, horror cred to throw in there. So obviously, Dawn of the Dead 2004 is a remake of George A. Romero's 1978 film of the same name, in which a handful of human survivors living in a shopping mall located in a fictional town of Everett, Wisconsin, are surrounded by swarms of zombies. Original cast members Ken Forey, Scott Reiniger, and Tom Savini also appear in cameos. Yeah, I know we have a lot to discuss about Dawn of the Dead 2004 and maybe do some comparisons to the original movie in it. But uh, before we get started with that, guys, this is Dawn of the Dead. Hey, Vivian. Hey, now look, I can go backwards. Let me see. Hey, that's amazing. Hey. Hey, you. Switching to the emergency broadcasting system. Look up the road, there's a lot more of them. Why are they coming here? Maybe they're coming for us. The sooner or later they're gonna get in here. Our baby's here before. It's only a matter of time. It's coming. They'll find a way in. Oh, God. Oh, 
Anna, played by Sarah Polly, is finally finishing up a very long nursing shift at the Milwaukee County Hospital. She heads to her suburban home and talks briefly with a young neighbor child, Vivian, who shows off her skating abilities. Inside, she joins her husband, Louis, for date night, and the two miss an emergency broadcast because they're boning in the shower. <laughs> Around dawn of the dead, Louis is awoken by the sound of their bedroom door opening. It's Vivian, and she's injured. Louis rushes to her aid, waking Anna in the process. Vivian attacks Louis, biting him on the neck. Anna locks Vivian in the hallway and attempts to stop Louis's bleeding. Calls to 911, ring busy, and Louis dies from his wound. He quickly reanimates and attempts to attack Anna. She grabs her keys and locks herself in the bathroom, but is forced to climb out a window when Louis breaks in. Here's Johnny. I know, that's so goofy. They, they framed that. His head's all shaken like he's a <laughs> spaz. Outside, Anna sees that her neighborhood has been thrown into chaos. She speeds away, but is later forced off the road and down an embankment where she crashes her car and passes out. When she comes to and stumbles out of her car, she finds a shotgun pointed at her face by police officer Kenneth, played by Ving Rames. They continue on foot and eventually meet up with Michael, played by Jake Weber, Andre, played by Mackay Pfeiffer, and his pregnant wife Luda. The group tells them that the city has been swarmed and that they're heading to a nearby mall. They break in and find them all deserted. They are attacked by a zombie janitor and a zombie security guard who scratches Luda. Three mall security guards, living, CJ, Bart, and Terry, catch them. They kill the zombie security guard and make the group surrender their weapons in exchange for safety. They agree to paint signs on the roof to alert rescuers of their presence and notice a man, Andy, who is trapped in his gun store across the zombie-infested parking lot. During a scuffle, the group gets an upper hand over CJ and Bart, and Terry assists in locking them in a holding cell. A delivery truck barrels through the parking lot and backs up to a loading dock. In the truck are more survivors. Driver Norma, Yuppie Steve, Monica, Glenn, Frank, and his daughter Nicole. A very large woman is too injured to walk, and she is carried in a wheelbarrow. The woman dies, quickly reanimates, and is killed. The group theorizes that the illness causing the zombies begins with being bitten. Frank has been bitten, and much to his daughter Nicole's protest is quarantined while Kenneth watches. When Frank dies and reanimates, Kenneth shoots him, and the group becomes sure of the spread of the illness. Secure in the mall, the group begins to get down with the sickness and to live a semi-normal life. I see what you did there. Thank you. I was going to put semi-charmed life, but <laughs> it was a little too 90s. They use food and items from the stores, and romance begins to blossom between Anna and Michael as well as Terry and Nicole. Kenneth and Andy develop a friendship between messages written on a whiteboard. When the power goes out, the group must release CJ and Bart to travel into the parking garage to turn on the emergency generators. In the garage, they find a cute pup and also a horde of bloodthirsty zombies. Bart is killed, and the rest are cornered behind a fence around a gas pump, which they use to douse the zombies and light them ablaze, helping their escape. Did you mean to write wipe board or white board? I wrote wipe board, but is that not what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I've seen it written or talked about, it's always whiteboard. Oh, I've always said wipe, like ass. It's a, it's a <laughs> Can we say it again? It's a whiteboard. Because <laughs> you wipe it. 
You wipe you, know? you, you wipe blackboards too. <laughs> no, you erase blackboards. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Meanwhile, inside the baby store, Andre has kept Luda Scratch a secret. He has tied her up to a makeshift bed and she is near death. <laughs> you said snatches. <laughs> he kept Luda Snatches. <laughs> Well, he, did, he did that too. <laughs> Hold on, I need more beer. <laughs> and a puff of this menthol stick. Meanwhile, inside of the baby store, Andre has kept Luda's scratch a secret. He's tied her up to a makeshift bed as she is near death. After she dies, he begins to mourn until she reanimates and goes into labor. Norma heads down to the store to drop off supplies, but finds zombie Luda tied and gagged. She shoots Luda in the head, which makes Andre snap. He and Norma exchange gunfire and kill each other. The rest of the group obviously hears this and runs to discover the aftermath. They find Luda's baby swaddled on the bed and unwrap it. The baby has been born a zombie. They reluctantly kill the baby, but the entire situation has instigated the need to leave the mall. Steve makes a joke about heading to the marina to flee on his yacht and a plan is born. The group decides to reinforce parking shuttles with a snowplow, siding, metal bars and chains, as well as stocking it with chainsaws, propane tanks, and road flares. All things you can normally find in a mall. <laughs> Andy is starving to death in his gun store and is too weak to travel, so the cute pup, which Nicole named Chips, is sent with food in a saddlebag across the parking lot to Andy, as the zombies want nothing to do with the dog. Chips makes it, but zombies bite Andy in the process. Nicole, meanwhile, has stupidly gone after the fucking dog in the delivery truck. She also makes it safely into the gun store, but is cornered by a zombified Andy. Michael, Kenneth, CJ, Terry, and Tucker travel through the sewers to rescue her, leaving Steve to guard a door to the mall. They kill Andy, rescue Nicole, and grab guns and ammunition. They head back through the sewers, but Tucker breaks his legs in the process. CJ pulls him along while he shoots the zombies chasing them. When the zombies begin to eat Tucker, CJ shoots him out of mercy. They reach the mall, but are unable to get in, as Steve has abandoned his post. Anna lets them inside, but zombies storm the mall after them, and the group is forced to evacuate on the shuttles. While navigating the overrun city, Glenn loses control of a chainsaw, killing himself and Monica. Their shuttle crashes, and the others turn around to assist. Steve attempts to flee alone, but is ambushed by a zombie. CJ gets to the operational shuttle, and Anna kills the reanimated Steve and takes his boat keys. The marina is swarmed by zombies, and CJ sacrifices himself for the group by exploding a propane tank. The others make their way to Steve's boat, but Michael refuses to come aboard as he was bitten by a zombie back in the city scuffle. A tearful Anna kisses him goodbye and joins Kenneth, Nicole, Terry, and Chips on the boat. As they sail into Lake Michigan, Michael shoots himself. Footage from a camcorder found on the boat shows the irritable group running out of supplies and gas. They make their way to an island in the lake, but they are attacked by zombies. The camera is dropped, leaving their fate unknown. Well, that was quite the story. Yeah, uh, you know, different than the original, but somewhat the same. Ish, yeah. 
So Dawn of the Dead was screened out of competition at Cannes, but was released in the U.S. on March 19th, 2004. In the U.K., it was originally scheduled to be released the same week as Shaun of the Dead, but due to obviously the similarity in titles and the plot outlines, Shaun was pushed back by two weeks. The film grossed $59 million domestically and ultimately grossed $102 million worldwide against a budget of $26 million. Quite a budget for a horror movie. I think we were just, and that's back in 2004, we were just talking about uh, The Invisible Man being made for seven million you know mm-hmm. so interesting and i mean like if you want to talk about the way things look i mean like this, i remember this movie looking expensive when i saw it the first time right it seemed like a bit a big budget kind of movie did, to me but its budget was actually yeah. slashed because of the uh reception to house of the dead which i haven't seen yeah. oh i have <laughs> don't is it <laughs> <laughs> So Dawn of the Dead is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at 75% from 185 critics. It holds a 77% audience score, so pretty pretty even keel. The site's consensus reads, a kinetic, violent, and surprisingly worthy remake of George A. Romero's classic that pays homage to the original while working on its own terms. Roger Ebert said the film works and it delivers just about what you expect when you buy your ticket but felt that it lacks the morbid humor of the Romero version and the plot flatlines compared to the 1978 version, which was trickier, wittier, and smarter. Mordant. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> stop throwing your $3 words at us, Roger. Lisa Schwartzbaum of EW ranked it A and wrote, Commercial director Zack Snyder making a killer feature debut trades homemade cheesiness for knowing style, revels in the sophistication of modern special effects, and stomps off the best remake of a horror classic in memory. On the flip side, Scott Foundus of Variety described the movie as an unnecessary remake that will appear mostly to young adult audiences who have not seen the original film. True enough. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. George A. Romero said, It was better than I expected. The first 15 to 20 minutes were terrific, but it sort of lost its reason for being. It was more of a video game. I'm not terrified of things running at me. It's like Space Invaders. There was nothing going on underneath. Yeah, I don't... I mean, he started off that quote like positive but the rest of it seems incredibly negative and this is from the person who created the concept right so yeah sure and we'll talk more about the the differences and similarities later and whether or not george a romero was you know founded in that and of course he can say whatever the fuck he wants you know because he made the original so you know and because he's george romero he can say whatever he wants anyway exactly So uh, the movie didn't win any actual awards, um, at least what I could find online. Uh, but Bloody Disgusting ranked. I'm sure it was nominated for like Fangoria Awards or, or Saturn, Saturn or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But Bloody Disgusting raped raped it. <laughs> Bloody Disgusting. Mm. <clears throat> Bloody Disgusting ranked the film eighth in its list of the top horror films that decade. And Rolling Stone placed it in third in their top 10 best zombie movies of all time. You the grammar police today? Or <laughs> I just don't want to say raped. <laughs> Before we get into specifics about like the acting and the filmmaking and all that stuff, let's uh, go through some scenes of the movie, right? Sort of walk our way through it. So I feel like this movie really starts off incredibly strongly, right? Um, just like George A. Romero said, he acknowledged how great it starts off. Like, 
it's uh it's really just like starts off kind of like showing that normalcy just like the first movie uh well actually no the first movie starts off when they're kind of in a normal situation like a busy newsroom but that shit's going on shit's already happening they know what's going on versus this is right before that right so uh she goes home you see that normalcy you kind of establish that suburbia or whatever and then it just all hits the fan in the morning with the little girl which was an amazing scene i still remember that from the uh the trailer the little girl jumping off of her feet you know because Mm -hmm. uh while fast zombies were a thing it still wasn't like entered into pop culture as like a normal thing for zombies to be right yeah because i mean like in the past we had seen it in like what 28 days later mm-hmm. right yeah well no i mean like the the first was uh return of the living dead i would say of, of fast zombies and then but the first modern example like post 2000 is definitely going to be 28 days later which had come out two years before this <laughs> yeah i mean so like the opening of this movie to me is very like the the actual opening when it starts in the hospital and moves its way into date night and whatnot it starts off very like banal and just almost kind of boring you know and it's to me was a, a stark contrast to the original movie which starts off in chaos yeah. right you just like you just said you know so but um i remember when i saw this in the theater back in 2004 you know when the shit hits the fan it really does hit the fan and i was just like holy shit yeah. you know there's this is this is happening you know well i remember also watching this movie and thinking Zack snyder just really filmed this like a lot of his work, especially in the thousands with, um, you know, Watchmen and 300 and the other movies that he just kind of pumped out there for a few years. It just looks kind of ahead of its time. You know, it looks really, really competently made and with like really high production value and really like super saturated colors, at least at first. And mm-hmm. but on this watch, I, I haven't seen this in a while. And I used to watch this and show it to others like a lot back in the day. But you know, and I and I still like refer to this movie as the new Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> and then when I was sitting down to watch this, and it's been a few years, um, you know, I'm just like looking at like the cars in the neighborhood and the outfits and everything, and I'm like, this looks dated as fuck and '90s as hell in a way. Like it made me feel old <laughs> watching this. I completely agree with you. You know what I mean? This is the first time that I've watched these two movies so close together. You know, I usually like watch one and then leave it alone and come to the other later on. And and watching the '78 version, obviously, I don't have a reference to put myself in that particular it was dated time period. The first time we saw it, you know, yeah, yeah, you know. And so I I have seen this movie in the last couple of years, but I was really paying attention on this watch for the remake. And when she grabbed her keys and had to jump out that bathroom window and get to her car, and she has to like unlock it manually, I was like, just press the fucking button on the fob, you know. And I was like, oh no, they, she may not have had that or something. Yeah. So, yeah, Jesus. Speaking of Anna, uh, played by, of course, Sarah Polly, like, she does a good job, especially the beginning. Like, her acting yeah. is really strong and then just, like, kind of gets worse and worse as she goes through <laughs> that movie. But I just kept, like, immediately, even when she's really good, I was like, she has a face for comedy, not drama. Especially when her husband pops his head through and he's like, here's Johnny style, you know? And then her neighbor gets run over by an ambulance. You look at her and it's just like, I feel like she's Anna Faris from Scary Movie or something. Like, <laughs> Yes. No, you're she's right. She's like, gee whiz. <laughs> you know? 
And the thing is, I mean, like the first time I watched this, the very first time back in the theater, I mean, my jaw was dropping, right? But on this this remake, I was like literally laughing at things. I was laughing at her husband shaking his head like a spaz in the fucking bathroom yeah. door. And I literally like guffawed with laughter when her neighbor got hit by the ambulance. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun watch. Yeah. <laughs> <was just> like, <laughs> but then we get those exposition credits brought to you by Johnny Cash. Holy shit. Like that's... I don't know. Such a and good maybe song I had a, for this. I think it, it's, it, that's an amazing. And of course, song. it was I, one of your top ten picks for songs in uh, horror movies. That's right, for pop songs in horror movies, and um, I, I, I think it's super, super effective in this movie. And I think the credits are really effective too. And it was handpicked and by I, uh, Zack Snyder. I don't know if maybe as was the Richard Cheese one later, which is also which is one of your picks, wasn't it? On that top ten yes. list, yeah. Um, I don't know if maybe I just had like too many drinks and I started watching this and I was feeling very like smart or something, but I was just like my, my overthinker cap was on during those credits. And I was just like, Oh my God, it's so post nine 11 America. I mean, you have a point, right? I mean, and it is, you know, but I, on this particular watch and maybe even back then it could have entered my brain at some point. Maybe I just didn't, you know, it didn't register at the time, but it sort of, it really sets up this movie yeah you know these these credits do i and i think that everything that this movie is trying to say like really starts with these particular credits yes and then we actually you know as we move out of those credits and we see her you know uh meeting up with ving rames who you know i always love um and he's particularly good in this film i think yeah he says uh you know he doesn't know if she's a zombie or not and so he's like say something please <laughs> yeah i wrote i wrote in my notes i was just like um is she reminding him of manners or asking for help see I, was like, <laughs> I got something from that too i was like this is like it's well written but at the same time it took me out of it because i was like i feel like they're about to break break out song like <laughs> say something i'm giving up on you <laughs> oh my god this movie would be the best musical <laughs> jesus for real Oh my god! Yeah, I just um, I think I would have delivered that line a little differently though. He'd be like, "Say something." I'd be like, "Please say something, motherfucker." <laughs> Should have been Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I'm tired of these motherfucking zombies in this motherfucking mall. <laughs> he really needs to be in every fucking horror movie anyway. <laughs> Jesus. So then we get to the mall, and you know what? There's nothing like a little music to get me in the shopping mood. Well, there has to be music and a Dawn of the Dead movie. Yes, like, there, there does. And like they're they're like killing the things that are already in there, which is, I guess, just a few because like the janitor was killed by something, but we never see what was what the janitor was killed by. And then like she washes her hands in the fountain. And I was like, I bet that fountain is grosser than your hands right now. Like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Medical professional. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was the only water available at that particular moment. But you're right. Maybe we're just being a little too, like, coronavirus about it or something. <laughs> well, that wasn't a fountain of Purell, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, certainly not. Uh, and then, of course, oh, they're Jesus. having to kind of, like, work through the wall to see if it's secure or whatever. And, like, I think the – what what's the main guy's name? Um, Michael. Michael. Like, he swaps out a crowbar for a croquet mallet. <laughs> Like that's fucking maddening. I'm like, you know, who the fuck does this and how was this filmed? Like, like the first swipe he does, I'm like, you like you would have gotten like the thing's head off if you had had the crowbar. Like, why did you swap that? 
I mean, and plus that shit's made of wood, right? You hit it just hard enough, that shit can break, and then it you're left break. with a stake. And, there, no, and then he that's how right. he killed him through the eye. It was the yeah. first main like big bloody kill. But then he has to go back and find the crowbar. I mean, he didn't obviously, but I mean in real life, like you lost your fucking croquet mallet, now go find the crowbar you left somewhere. Yeah. Dipshit. And then of course they meet up with the security personnel that were there who have tried to basically say, okay, this is our place i mean uh you can only imagine the conversation those three security guards had and they're commissioned right so they're all carrying guns Mm -hmm. and uh you know about like this is safe we can secure it and we have everything we need here you know kind of like the original uh movie in a way but you know here's these people and they're like we want you to we want to keep track of you and we don't want more people in here we need to keep control of the situation because we're afraid of the bad, the wrong people coming in. Right. And that CJ is taking control. And of course you're made to like hate him. Right. Yeah. He's right off the bat. Honestly, like other than being like, you know, mildly, you know, rife with like toxic masculinity, he's actually kind of smart, you know, with based based on his thinking yeah i mean he alternates right between being like no he definitely <clears throat> evolves uh, out of all the characters yeah. i think he's one of the most you know evolved but we'll get we'll get back into that when we talk more about like specific characters in the movie but mm-hmm. there's a moment uh when we're we're watching the tvs and of course we see tom savini uh in the in the cameo as like a police officer and we also see um uh some one of the other actors from the original who's like saying like when there's no room in hell you know the dead will walk the earth you know, oh ken for it and yeah. then we all mm-hmm. see the general is played by um his buddy in uh the original dawn of the dead and god what was his name scott reininger yeah scott reininger so like all mm-hmm. three like pretty close together in the cameos i yeah. would say um you know, so that was cool a, be a little fan payoff, right? Yeah. As, I mean, that's what that had but to Tom be. But Tom Savini yeah. had a good, you know, couple paragraphs of of stuff to say and stuff. So it was more than just like a cameo to me. So did Ken Foray. I mean, like he was playing that evangelical like Total TV preacher. Yeah. yeah, you know, and like he he really delivered those lines pretty good. I wrote in my notes. I was like, oh, hey, Tom Savini. I was like, oh, he's not such, he's not such a good actor. <laughs> I was just like, he's just shouting okay. around to people. Yeah. But like Ken Foray, we really had some like bravado in that like whole sermon he was delivering. And it really changes the message from what he said in the original, right? Yeah. So I mean I just I, I really liked that that cameo quite a yeah. bit. Then there's this this moment with Anna where she's like breaking down as she tie, ties her shoes. I'm like, this movie and I'd already th- thought like she looked like Anna Far- Faris or Ferris. I don't know how you pronounce her name i say ferris anna yeah. ferris and uh I, feel, I just feel like this movie would be great for riff tracks like, completely i can't tie my shoes yes. <laughs> <laughs> see this is why we need to make our own commentaries <laughs> come on Ugh. and then we get that uh that that uh bus that or the truck actually that comes yeah. and i think it's the same truck brand from the first movie even though that truck business went out of um went out actually out of business a couple years after the original Dawn of the Dead. Um, all oh, wow. those trucks, yeah. But they use the same truck brand um, for the truck that they're they're driving. And and we get more survivors entering the mall. Um, you know, at that point, I think the security team, at least two out of the three of them, had been kind of put aside because they were too controlling, too threatening, too gun happy. Mm-hmm. But there's this one... <laughs> That bitch that was brought in with a wheelbarrow <laughs> who doesn't know anybody. She, she looks fucking disgusting. She's diseased. 
Clearly. and obviously bitten. These people mm-hmm. in this movie are just not horror or zombie savvy at all. And I have to believe that in this universe, there's no zombie movies or or else these people are just fucking retarded. I was kind of thinking about this while watching it. I was just like, so <clears throat> obviously that like this has to be like the original. This is like uh, carte blanche for zombie movies in this remake, right? Because are we supposed to believe that there's not a Night of the Living Dead before this or like the events of Night of the Living Dead happened and this is like the remake? This is happening sequel, you know what I mean? the, concurrently, right? In this version. <clears throat> yeah. Right. It, that's why in, in George A. Romero's version of Dawn of the Dead, things were already happening because this is a sequel. You know, this is like the day after, right? Literally night of right. Dawn of the Dead. And then, you know, so this is the day after everything kind of went down. And in this version, this is the day everything's going down. Right. So they, they made that change. But it's still, they just don't seem to be able to put two and two together very well. And this is kind of a theme throughout the movie. And yeah, in true. fact, like, um, then they have like needless. I feel like they had some like unneeded drama where there was a guy that they, they knew was bitten and, you know, like, well, we think it's the bite, you know, and like, we're going to have a fight about killing the guy right away. And it's like, I have an idea. Why don't you just let them die before you shoot them in the head? Why don't you let them turn before you shoot them in the head? Like this, there's so much dumbassery in there because it was just like, that's what they end up doing anyway. But there was like, stupid drama about it like that had nothing i don't know it's just seemed well they of... had to have sarah polly's oscar clip you know <laughs> where she storms in there and she's like michael wants to kill you frank <laughs> you know she has to she has to have her dramatic moment you know i mean i've said this before i'm a sucker for melodrama and whatnot and so like moments like that as contrived and trite as they are like i i like seeing it you know so when they first get to the mall that next group of survivors and michael says to norma and he was like you know, where'd you get these people? And she's like, well, I'm just driving out here on the CB that they need some help. So I turn around and get them. Yeah. And he was like, kudos to you. I mean, like that, that shit makes me cry. So maybe I'm just like a little too emotional when I watch some of these movies or something. But well, I don't know. Like, but this is, I think where the, the film actually kind of, I don't want to say it starts because the film really did start, you know, with, yeah. with Anna's character and her husband and that kid, you know, and everything. But this is where the meat of the movie is. I think this movie is, like some of the best parts of the movie are really just like in the in the middle of it, which is kind of rare. I feel like a lot of the times things kind of are really good, smooth out, and then just movies don't know how to end or the, you know. But this one, the, I feel like the, the middle is really where it's at. Um, we get, you know, the settling in, you know, after they've kind of made their peace with whatever, you know, the survivors that we're going to turn to zombies are dead now. The zombie, you know, the mall is secure. They're kind of, you know you know settling in and making their half-life i guess in this mall but we also get that um the meeting of andy on the rooftop with mm-hmm. the Rames character and they play chess together we get that that sniping the celebrities game which is so amazing and we get the yeah so funny the richard cheese song you know uh you know get down with the sickness which to me is like the best part of the movie in general what that's a really, really great montage, yeah. you know, of everything that they're doing in the mall, you know, and <clears throat> it, it, I mean, it, it's similar to the montage that we see in the original Dawn of the Dead, right? They're just going around, going around, like doing what they want, taking what they want, living in a mall, g- living out some sort of like shopping fantasy or something like that. But it's, yeah. it's a little bit more 2004, you know, I think the reason that this movie is so good in the middle is because we have such a larger cast 
than we did in the 1978 version. And it takes a long time for us to sort of meet everybody. Yeah. But by the time that truck arrives, you know, these are our characters. The story is set now. We can start to explore where things are going. And I think that's why the middle of this movie is just really, really And we get those moments with, you know, even these smaller characters, we get like a nice moment with kind of each of them. So we kind of get who they are. But we don't really get to deep dive with any of them as far as, you know, outside of like Anna and maybe CJ and being Rame's character, you know, but that's enough. That's fine. You know, those are kind of our core people and Michael, of course, Um, you know, but then, you know, starts things start to kind of turn a little bit. We find the dog down somehow alive at that point down in the garage. (laughs) I had nothing to eat. So here's here's my thing about this movie. I, I don't really have a timeline. For yeah, it, it's, you know, it's a little like, lazy. you know, so like how many days have they been in the mall? How many weeks have they been in the mall? And so like, yeah, when that dog's walking up, I sort of feel like they've been in that mall for weeks, you know, just like trying on shoes and fucking and doing whatever else they're yeah. doing, you know, and then they find that dog who just wanders up out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then we get, you know, poor Melania and her zombie baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't she been through enough? <laughs> Oh my god, that's fucking hilarious. You know, and of course we get the novelty <laughs> of that zombie baby, which, you know, yeah. I, it, it was shocking in this one, but I wish they'd done more with it. You know, Train Spotting did it better. That's the one of, of all the zombie babies. That's the one that gives me nightmares. And Dead Alive's zombie baby was hilarious. You know, this one just kind of looks at you and then you hear a, a shot, you know, like a, a shot of a gun, you know, off screen. You know, so I feel like I really, there, actually, there was a planned sequence of this baby eating its way out of the mother, you know, and that would have been a little too much. I yeah. Think, and right? it but was going to, it was considered to be too disturbing, too gory. And so they changed it. I don't know if it was filmed or not though. So there's an, there's an unrated director's cut of this movie. Have you seen it? Uh, I chose to watch the original because the, uh, the director's cut is basically just nine minutes longer and just has some extra gore. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, cause I mean, I, I have this movie on DVD. I don't have it on Blu-ray. I mean, so this is what I watched. Right. And then I was scrolling through Amazon and I saw an unrated director's cut and I was like, Oh, should I, you know, but I didn't know what was. And there's it. very little on which one is better. It just, it seemed like more of a back then in the thousands, we got a lot of those where it was like, especially for horror movies, you know, it's like unrated versions or whatever, where it was basically just a marketing ploy. Just a marketing ploy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I do want to say there was that moment where it, it's just like, almost like these people are almost slaves to the plot versus their actual characters. And the guy, the, the father, uh, of the zombie baby, you know, it's like you want to kill my family, and just goes, <laughs> and like they have the like just shootout, and it's if I get it, like in the synopsis we said he broke, you know, but it's just like I don't know, like you would like looking at like the gore and the nastiness, and the, and your wife just trying to kill you, and the the baby turned to a zombie. It's like you would have been, you have rejected all of that, just as a human, right? We're a wired that way against dead things, especially ones that want to eat us. I don't think he would have really, or anyone really would have reacted that way in reality. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, we have a similar situation going on in the 1978 version with that, you know, tenement 
where they were housing all their dead because they couldn't get rid of them. They were so attached to their loved ones, you know? And this is sort of a conversation we can have later on about like zombies and why, why it's a hard monster to kill, you know, especially if it's someone that you've grown to love or part of your family. And I mean, a realist would say, yeah, you need to get rid of the monster that's trying to kill you. But on the flip side, you know, you have someone who's, it's his wife, she's pregnant and he, he doesn't want to get rid of her. He wants to hold on to his family at whatever fucking Well, it doesn't cost. make sense, really, because, like, in reality, that doesn't happen, right? Like, you, you call 911 or something else. Like, so this is really a case of, like, in the tenement, like, them just kind of piling up. And some of them were put into, you know, specific body rooms where they would come become zombies or not. And sometimes they wouldn't get to that point because shit just went crazy. You know, this is a little well, yeah. different, you know. But I think that, I mean... There are some debates about this movie, about how characters act. You know, there was a big debate about the the girl going after the dog later on, right? And both of us think that's so stupid, right? Oh, my God. But that's like the worst there part was of this like, fucking Apparently, movie. there was a conversation between Christina Aguilera, of all people, at the premiere and, like, someone else. And they're like, oh, my God, we would have totally done, both done that. Like, that was a real moment. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I'm wrong, you know? <laughs> uh for the record listeners i would not go after the dog god okay. i feel like if I, I, I was in a zombie apocalypse i'd be shooting more stupid people than zombies <laughs> for real <laughs> and i think that's Jorge romero's point so <laughs> yeah there we go i'd be living up to the legacy anyway so at that point for whatever reason i still don't understand this there's a plan to go to the island right and like they have everything they need there like you're on an island Right, like closer to essentially to yeah. possible civilization that uh, with other survivors and stuff, you have all you know. You can go and get that ammo and come back and stuff, but it's like you have a perfectly good roof, you have a sign on the roof, like you have everything you need. Why would you leave? Like it doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I sort of like suspend disbelief a little bit. And, you know, in some movies, you have to try a little harder than others, obviously, you know. But even in the original one, right? I mean, Fran wanted to leave. She didn't want to stay in the mall. She felt trapped for whatever reason. Although it seemed a lot easier for these people to get into that mall and stay in that mall than it did in 78. Well, you know, yeah. they're just like walked in and they were safe. Magically. They were there long enough to have the fucking motorcycle gangs form, you know, they just weren't. <laughs> they didn't give it a chance. It was just weird to me. Like, and they had this one does not simply walk into Mordor speech about it like this is all that we're gonna have to do you know and then and then they're like yeah that's exactly what we're gonna have to do and you know the guy's like that's impossible and then they're like count me in and I'm like what <laughs> like, this oh they all do they all say yeah right they're like yeah yeah <laughs> like, this conversation yeah. doesn't make any sense and then Big Ram's like okay I feel like <laughs> yeah, me and you would be yeah. like in the background being like with one finger in the air going uh <laughs> Uh, excuse me <laughs> can we stay like we all go ahead and do that that seems like a lot of work and stupid i'm gonna go over to starbucks <laughs> <laughs> or hallowed grounds whatever the hell it was yeah, called <laughs> that actually kind of reminds me of that f-bomb that was dropped in this movie when the guy's like i'm gonna go make myself or i really wanted like a, a low frap latte or whatever the hell he said and the guy's oh like, yeah i wanted it. a a a chai mocha latte with foam or something yeah that was, I was like, this, this is 2004 <sighs> anyway so yeah they and then we have the the building the buses montage and like making them to like little like evil dead vehicles or whatever and what kind of fucking mall has all that shit where do they get that snow plow front I, i'm well, i guess it's wisconsin so they yeah, may have to plow course, the parking yeah. lot you know yeah but i mean like 
there had to have been a Sears, I suppose, is the only the place to get a fucking chainsaw in a mall. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was cool. I liked, I liked it, you know. And they, they of all the weird, stupid, needless plan that they do, it, you know, for the most part, it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they attempt to save Andy, who had run out of food across the street. Um, and I actually think so Andy seems like the one of the most you know, interesting characters in the story. You know, I loved that thing where we're only able to kind of communicate with him via that whiteboard, you know? And uh, it was, it was just some of the most interesting. They're playing chess by communicating that way. They're sniping people by communicating that way. It was just a really cool element of this movie. I feel like, and I, I would have liked a little bit more time with Andy. I almost wish this was almost like a, a mini series or a serial or something that we could watch and, and kind of go back and forth to different people, you know? I disagree, kind of just a, a twinge. I think we got just enough of Andy to make his death kind of tragic in a larger sense, right? Oh, you may be right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like we, in the context we don't really of this know. movie, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't get to know a lot about him. And then when they finally get to hear his voice, you know, and then everyone's like, well, he's dead, yeah. you know, because obviously he got bit, you know, and it, like this movie is, is written in such a way very bare bones style to like get the story across and keep the story moving. Yeah. And all of it is very like template style, you know? And I, I don't have a problem with or that. Or someone thought really, of a collection but... of interesting scenes and then like the story just kind of had to move around it and connect the dots. Exactly. You know, cause then we get that. I'm all out of love of elevator. <laughs> I'm all out of love. I'm so lost, I'm so without, lost without you. you. I love this song or whatever. This right after being chased by zombies. And I'm like, of course, I'm paranoid about the elevators anyway, and then we get that song instead of a boatload of zombies. So, I mean, I probably would have said that if I were in that situation. I heard a song that I liked. I've been like, oh, I like this song. <laughs> I mean, but because <laughs> that's totally yeah. me. I do love the fact that they are able to help Andy with like the food by sending that dog who's magically trained to do everything. Like, <laughs> they really whistle. lucked into yeah. that fucking dog, didn't yeah. they? Like, what the? It's a perfect dog to just find in the parking garage because he automatically knows how to like follow a whistle and He's run a across very the street. Lovable, well trained plot device. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then we actually get the sequence with the bus where they're actually getting on the bus and like doing the mission. Right. And I love the saw coming out of the bus to cut all their legs off when all the zombies like get on the side and, you know, start kind of shaking the bus or whatever. And they're like, get out the chainsaws. (laughs) It just kind of works, you know? And uh, I think, I think that explosion was amazing too. Right. Where they're trying to like clear all the zombies. That is like, the best like aerial zombie shot right of a horde of zombies you know and i mean there's really not a whole bunch of those in like horror movie history right but when they make that explosion and all the zombies sort of like fall over from the aftershock is like just i think amazing something me. similar it to it in like resident evil apocalypse or like the third or fourth one or something where there is like a truck or a bus sequence and they're going through like these masses of zombies and there's an explosion and they just they're they don't just have a shockwave but they're all flying everywhere in air and stuff so i think there's one similar to it they tried to one-up this scene but it's still an impressive scene the only other like really like far away shot of zombies like it's a horde of zombies that like I like as much is when the zombies in World War Z are trying to climb over that oh, wall. Oh shit! Yeah, you know it's really tense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But note to yeah. self: don't operate a chainsaw on a truck full of people while the truck is quickly <laughs> moving through the city and making sharp turns. I know that's an oddly specific situation to be in, but I'm still going to note to self: <laughs> if the film flamers teaches you anything, it is that <laughs> chainsaws and moving vehicles do not. Mix. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 
And this is where it kind of gets like Evil Dead again. You know, like there's that elevator sequence. There's these moments of comedy that are brought into this. And it's not the mordant humor, right? It's it's right on the surface humor, right? Well, and I really thought there were quite a few like Peter Jackson moments in this movie, right? Like that whole scene with the chainsaw when he's like hacking himself and Monica to death or whatever. And there's like blood spraying yeah. everywhere and chainsaws no. and shit. And I was just like, Peter this Jackson. This movie is like <laughs> one zombie baby in a blender away from being a Peter Jackson movie. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> or a Peter Jackson horror movie, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Shit. So, of course, then we get the end, you know, which is essentially kind of a weird, quick wrap-up to this movie in a way. And then we actually get the end during the closing credits with all those clips, you know. And we get the, we get the head in the cooler shot, which was... <laughs> kind of masturbatory but cool we get the maggots we get um you know out of gas the boat in the boat problems and then we get the approaching the island don't know how they approach the island with the boat problems they were having who knows and then we got the dog running off and then finally we get the port of zombies where the zombies are kind of rushing them from the island and i'm like (laughs) of course and the whole audience is going of course why didn't you stay in the Mm -hmm. fucking wall (laughs) for real I uh I like I like the end credit sequences, you know what I mean? I mean I just I I do. Just because at the time it was kind of novel to me. At this point, you know, I'm used to seeing things after credits, yeah. you know, like thanks Marvel. Um but <clears throat> for then I was really like flabbergasted at what happened. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the original Dawn of the Dead, you know, they sort of like fly off into whatever, you know, but we we sort of know what happens to these people. It's a little more ambiguous because I was going to say, is this more hopeful or not? I think not, nah, right? This is this yeah, is obviously not yeah. for real. <laughs> they mm-hmm. they leave Certainly. it a little ambiguous, but you pretty much know it's inevitable, right? And I've said this before on an episode, I think it was Suspiria. I cannot stand fucking maggots in movies. <laughs> like it's the it's the one yeah. thing that I'm just like, oh God. I mean, every time I see it, I'm I like Nope, that, I was like, nope, right the fuck out of that. Somewhere out there, Robert Eppers is squirming <laughs> into his couch. <laughs> Close to vomiting. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I saw this in the theater like two or three times. I you really, don't like things I, with no legs. Know, I, that's it. Yeah, snakes, maggots, none of it. No. And so I'm like casually eating my popcorn or whatever the first time, like finishing up the rest of my bag and then the maggoty shit. <laughs> I'm like, nope. Put my fucking popcorn down. I'm like, well, I just stopped enjoying this for a little bit. God. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about the actors, you know, and the characters in this movie. Starting with Sarah Polly, we already kind of she's meant to be the audience, right? Where she's taking us through this movie for more or less. She kind of loses focus near the end. She kind of is yeah. not put in the limelight in the center of the story uh, as much. I feel like this movie kind of zooms out a little bit too far for her character to remain the audience by the end uh which is kind of a strange choice you know but like like we already said like you know she starts off really strong and kind of ends in an interesting place yeah so the uh the note that i wrote while watching the movie was it's like sarah Polly fell in love with and then gave up on acting in the course of this movie <laughs> 
And I don't know if it's because the way her character was written or something. And I mean, like we said earlier, there's a there's a larger cast in this, you know, and we sort of need someone to get us through all the introductions and get us into the meat of the movie. And, you know, by the time that middle happens, Sarah Polly is sort of just Fades like thrown the by the wayside. Yeah, like it's yeah. so weird. It's like they needed this vehicle and then they're like, oh, we don't need this anymore. So they, they throw the toy back in the box. You know, it's just yeah. this, this movie is kind of strangely written in a number of ways. And that's one of them. <laughs> We, we get a horror movie that starts off with a very strong female lead, right? And then by the middle and end of the movie is just a whole bunch yeah. of men. Including you Van Rames, who I think is yeah. the, one of the strongest, you know? And one of the reasons actually he joined the film is because, you know, he gets to survive. He's a black guy in a horror movie that gets to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, at least until, you know, the very end that we get yeah. to see. And, you know, right? at first I actually wrote, like, he might actually be... One of my favorite characters, and I think he is, um, you know, because he, he keeps it f- fairly cool, you know, and he he has a good head on his shoulders. Um, you know, he always makes fairly good decisions, but, you know, he's also kind of inconsistent, too. Like, he flies off the handle at weird moments, you know, when they need him to. Yeah, so he makes good decisions when he is able to stop and think about it. Like, when someone stops him from doing it, he's like, well, I'm going to Fort Collins or, where, you know, wherever the hell he's going to find his brother. And they're like, no, you don't want to go there. We came from there and it's a bloodbath. He's like, no, I'm going yeah. anyway. And then he has to, like, storm upstairs and, like, think yeah. for a minute, right? Yeah, take a minute. But look how easily he was talked into leaving the mall, you know? Everyone was, so, I mean, though. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So, and then we get Jake Weber, uh, who I guess played Michael, and he has this like freshly punched face. You know, like I like I have a soft spot in my heart for Jake Weber because I really like the TV show Medium. Have yeah. you ever watched mm-hmm. that with uh, Patricia Arquette? She he plays her husband, and I just loved the shootout of that show. And so, I mean, like, I mean, I I just yeah. like him. But you're right; he does look like somebody. <laughs> Smash his face <laughs> well i mean he's just always kind of a little sad and like just like a piece of cardboard in a way like he's just not he's just not all there you know like he's just meant to be like this every man you know yeah even dopier than an every man though when they're having that dinner conversation and they're like worst job you know and he and sarah Polly are obviously like hitting it off and he was like uh whatever his worst job was and he's like but i think my best job I know, yeah. was I, being I a finished dad. that line before he said it and i was like rolling my eyes i was like this is how they're gonna end this this is supposed to be where we all tear up and instead we're all just like maybe is this a good time to go to the bathroom or pick up some more popcorn i mean yeah so i will cry at the drop of a hat but even that even that was a little too schmaltzy for me i was just like oh shit y'all crossed the line like if i'm not gonna cry at something then you went too far in my opinion and i'm sure this is not going to be a popular opinion michael kelly played the best character uh acting wise as well as character wise in this movie and that was cj the security officer who you're meant to hate in the beginning but he has a really good evolution because he starts off as that like super paranoid asshole but he's smart and he actually makes good decisions and he he goes along you know when it's wise for him to do so and he helps and he really does and he's 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 like the buddy by the end of Ving Rhames' character, they're passing, you know, supplies back and forth, uh, you know, and so he kind of redeems himself. He sacrifices himself, in fact, but he he does it really kind of effortlessly, but that's because Michael Kelly is just a really good actor. I remember him, um, the bald version of him, I guess, on um, Netflix show House of Cards. 
And he was really, mm-hmm. really good in that. And we didn't mention his uh, his name in the synopsis, but I feel like he needs to be mentioned here because he just did a really good job. He convinced you to hate him, and then he convinced you to like him really effortlessly and smoothly. Uh, and that was one of the best character arcs, I think, in this in this movie, if not the only really real one. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's really that unpopular of an opinion because I completely agree with you. I think that he is by far the only real character arc. He's the only character that changes through the course of the movie. And I... I you can sort of see that change happening like from the minute that he gets to quietly sit down with the first group of survivors that come in, right? When they're talking about like, what's the most realistic way to get, you know, rescued from here? And he was like, well, you can get some paint from the store in the storm, blah, 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 you know? And he has these moments where he also flies off the handle and he gets put into a cell for it. But I think he ultimately learns that, you know, you have to trust people around you, whether or not they were the people that you were going to trust pre-apocalypse, you know? Yeah. These are, He's the most realistic. I almost got like this like weird Capulet Prince of Cats kind of vibe from him, which is kind (laughs) of weird, especially considering uh, in the shows that he's on now, like he's really soft spoken and you know he's a presence, but like really soft spoken, possibly dangerous. But in this, he's he's much louder and more you know, um, you know, especially beginning more toxic masculinity than he is in his normal character work that he does. So it's interesting to see. I had forgotten that he was in this, and I was like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "Holy shit, that's Michael Kelly!" So he was doing a really good job. But maybe it's just my experience of being surprised that made me think that he did. You know, yeah. And I really haven't seen him in other things. Like I haven't seen House of Cards. You know, so I, I don't. I mean, again, this is something that you've been telling me to watch for many, many years. So, well, do you but, know what I think this movie was missing? What? Anna Faris and Thomas Jane. I think Thomas Jane would have been such an amazing, <laughs> like, better Michael with just a little more humanity in him. And then Anna Faris, just like, if you're going to do the comedic thing, just like, go ahead and replace Sarah Polly with Anna Faris. Like, just do it. And this would have been more interesting. Well, maybe whenever Mick Garris was making The Mist, he was like, let's just trap Thomas Jane in a different kind of store for a little bit. He got his moment trapped in a store. So, but yeah, he would have been good in that role. I mean, I don't think that Jake Weber was hideous, you know, I no, no, I'm not talking about like looks. I think Thomas Jane just has this ability to play something straight, you know, like, but have that little smirk, you know, have a, a, a little bit more depth there because Jake, he, he was very serviceable, but he was just a fucking, you know, block of wood. <laughs> you know but that's his character and i just i mean half of me is like I, I don't i don't think it's all the acting i think a lot of it has to do with script you yeah. know what i mean like some of the dialogue is really unbelievable and is in the wrong spot or whatever but i mean for the most part i think this cast did a a, a decent yeah. job you know uh ty burrell especially i think he was kind of funny right like it's moments to laugh he's such a good asshole you know yeah. but I made a note early on watching. So whenever I watch a movie, I sort of take notes like chronologically. And when he first gets to the mall, he's such a fucking smart ass. And he was just like, you know, how did you know they were zombies? And he was like, well, the fact that they died and then got back up again or whatever. And I was just like, that's probably me. Like in this situation, I'm probably the smart ass going like, duh, <laughs> you know, but then by the end, when he's such a douche, I'm like, no, I'm definitely yeah. not. And he was meant to be, he was Steve. written to be, you know, and he played it well. No, but I do want to talk about the music a little bit. Um, Tyler Bates uh, did the music for this and he can suck it. Uh, But most of the rest of the film. (laughs) Okay, I'll explain. So Tyler Bates does a lot of uh, Zack Snyder's movies and Tyler Bates did the music for 300. 
And of course, the music for 300 was like widely like bought and everything else, but he ripped it completely off note for note from um, Elliot Goldenthal's, uh, you know, music for Titus, right? By uh, Julie Taymor. And of okay. course, Elliot Goldenthal did like, you know, fucking interview with the vampire and a bunch of other movies that we love uh, as far as their music. And so it's like this, this fucking hack had to like <laughs> literally like I could, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play them both right here back to back. So here's Titus. And here's 300. They're exactly the same. <laughs> I didn't really notice the music in this movie at all anyway, though. I mean, like, it no, really... No, you don't. And and really, that's why I want... It's like the use of Muzak really is what's in this movie, right? So it's like, what mall would have all by myself Muzak playing all the time? All by myself. I've noticed that in like three or four different scenes. <laughs> I'm like, you want people to buy things, not kill themselves. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Or just make them so depressed that they buy even more is what it is. You know, I'm feeling really sad right now, so I need this extra pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so let's talk about the movie like overall. And I mean, we've talked a little bit about the toxic masculinity in it. We've talked a little bit about the fast zombies, um, you know, and the origin of that with like Return of the Living Dead and the first modern example being 28 Days Later. But I still feel like it was pretty novel in this film, uh, especially with, you know, some of the things that the zombies do, you know, the, the jumping, running, climbing, you know? Yeah. I think that, um, there's a moment when they are leaving the sewers and heading back into the mall and the zombies are like hot on their trails up that stairwell. And I, I wrote a note. I was like, so the best thing about fast zombies is their ability to take a dramatic pause because when they're at that door and they can't get in, then the zombies suddenly become very slow and they're like stalking them slowly. Yeah. And their heads like go down and they start staring at them like all evil yeah. and like there's they're all like, moving they're like, like a thriller up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, yes. I noticed that too. Yes. And I actually looked it up. So <laughs> Zack Snyder said, yeah, obviously that would not have happened with the rules that we have set up for zombies, but some things you do for dramatic effect. So he acknowledges mm-hmm. that he just did that for dramatic effect. I mean, and it works. It's a tense scene, you know. I mean, like, I'm, it doesn't though because both of us were taken out of the movie by it. I mean, I just thought it was funny. You know what I mean? But I. <laughs> I wanted them to start snapping. Or <laughs> like putting their hands on their hips and shuffling around in a circle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I do. I know we talked a lot about the toxic masculinity, like we, we just said, and I, it's such a sharp contrast to me uh, between the female characters in the, the remake and the original. So Fran is very straightforward with everything that she wants to say. And she wants to have a part in the decision-making process. And she doesn't want to be treated differently, you know? <clears throat> and we, we start out with a really strong Sarah Polly, and she sort of just fades off into the background. Like we said, no woman ever really gets a moment to stand up and say, you know, like, take me seriously and we can help the group. We get Sarah Polly fading into the background and then we get, you know, Nicole running off to get the, a dog and a horde of zombies you know it's just like yeah they really just like take the women out of the equation in this movie completely i remember something from theater right and like i just remember all the newbies that would start doing improv especially the men really only the men would start 
you know, doing the improv and then eventually just essentially almost over and over and over get into fight scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, threatening fights. It's just like, so when, when you have nothing else to go on and you're going to fall back on stereotypes, especially with men. And that just, I feel like that happens here for just for lazy dramatic moments where we just have these men like flinging their, you know, dicks around. And it's just, <laughs> I feel like it could have been so much more. And in place of that could have been those moments with those women, yeah. you know, or better moments with like, Michael didn't have to be the one normal person, mm-hmm. one normal guy in this movie. You know? I mean, because I mean, in all in all likelihood, if you're going to get a group of people together, it's going to be more of a group of Michaels. Well, I mean, I guess it just depends on where you're at, you know. But I mean, having conversations about like what life would be like in the zombie apocalypse and like the real world is silly, you know. I mean, so I don't know. Yeah. I will say, I mean, like we we used the word microcosm in the the last episode talking about the original Dawn of the Dead, and I guess 2004 just needed a much bigger one. You know, they had to have. Yeah. Different types of people to to fill certain holes or for whatever audience expectations there were making this movie, <clears throat> and I mean, I don't know that I like having a larger cast. I think I prefer having the smaller one. You know, like to me, that's just a much a much better idea of what people are going through in that particular moment. Yeah, I think like uh, Romero's, you know, Arthur C. Clarke and dedicated professional approach to it and the characterization with everything kind of happening around them uh, was better in a way for microcosm. We did get to see the biker gang, but that wasn't our innate group that we started with. And this was just kind of like a hodgepodge with nothing, nothing really to say about why the characters were the way they were, which stereotypes were chosen and for what reasons. And for that, you know, for all, for all this films like bells and whistles, I feel like this film has a lot less to say than the original in that way, which leaves it kind of feeling hollow to me. And I, you know, as much as I want to judge this movie in a vacuum, I can't, it has to be compared to the original. You know, I think that, you know, as far as like a standalone horror movie goes, it's very solid and it's very entertaining and it's very well produced. But when we compare it to the original, it is just all surface, no depth comparatively. There's no, so what? I think that this movie has things to say, it just doesn't say them very well. You know, I I see where they're going with certain things. I know they're trying to make some comments about a post-9-11 American society, you know, and like they're, there's lots of comments about like immigration or like you're to let the wrong ones in. Well, who are the wrong ones? You know, it's a time when America was divided about things, but... Yeah, if they're trying to say something about that, like I... I just don't see them doing that other than like some one-liners. Like there's nothing, there's no skit around that. There's no conversation around that. There's no depth to any of that. And so that's why I feel like my ending notes kind of are interestingly echoing what Romero actually said about the film when he said, you know, as the film goes on, there's really just nothing to it. You know, he said, um, you know, there was nothing going on underneath is what his direct quote was. And I, and I kind of have to agree. And I mean, and I do too. I think that they, I think they're trying to say something, trying being the operative word. I don't think they really succeeded at it. You know, I, and maybe I was just reading too much into watching the movie. You know, I think there are a lot of other movies that do a better job of talking about a post nine 11 American society than this remake of Dawn of the dead, you know, half of Eli Ross well, canon, certainly. you know, but, um, I mean, I, I, like, and Will and Grace does a bad job. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I could see, I could see them trying, you know, they just didn't really succeed yet. And, and it's okay to have a remake of a movie or it's okay to make a movie without some sort of like social message. But if you're going to do it and you're going to attempt it, you better have the follow through to make it worthy, sort of like what Romero yeah. does, you know? And I, I really love dawn of the dead it was one of the movies that i grew up watching and you know it's a a favorite horror movie of mine and when they announced a remake or a new one was coming out i was like oh it's gonna be garbage and uh, i went to go see it (laughs) in the theater and i was pleasantly surprised i like this movie and i like it enough to not compare it to the original you know i'll do it for all intents and purposes for this podcast because you know this is this is what we're here to do you know but when i watch this remake i put the original completely out of my mind and I just watch this for what it is, you know? Because it is it's very different. Yeah, it's very, very different, but not bad, you know? Yeah. No. It's sort of like remake and like location and name and everything else is like separate, you know? Yeah. It has its own merits and, um, you know, I, I, I will continue my life after this podcast recording, probably not comparing the two movies and I will love them equally for different reasons. So I've got some fun facts. My favorite part about recording these episodes. Lay them on me. So I've got four. And the first one is that writer James Gunn claims that he received a massive amount of fan backlash and even death threats when assigned to the to the film. What? So most of the hate messages claimed that he was the hack who wrote the Scooby-Doo movies <laughs> and shouldn't be in charge of Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> well, look at him now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't he get in some trouble recently? Yeah. yeah he's, I, I don't Yeah, There was like some weird tweets that he did way back in the day. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't fuck. Disney fired him and then rehired him. So, I mean, I, I like James Gunn's movies. I mean, a slither yeah. I think is a fantastic horror movie. Yeah. Gardens of the galaxy. Also very was good. an amazing take. Yeah. And I'm not a big so. superhero movie fan, but I really like gardens of the galaxy. So number two is when they approach the crossroads mall and Let's not talk too much <laughs> about that name. <laughs> My God. Yes, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a, 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 right next to the Crossroads Mall, like on the right hand side of the mall when you first see it on the outside, uh-huh. there's a name of a large department store called the Galen Ross. What? So Galen Ross Department Store. So then that can be seen from the outside and it's obviously the actress's name in the original who played Fran. I didn't even notice that. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. And I was like, holy shit. That was like right up in your face. So, and there's a couple of those stores that are based off of the character names, like bit characters though. So I probably didn't mall, notice but... because I had to re-roll my eyes back to the front of my head after reading Crossroads. <laughs> Crossroads. <Small>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're really like smacking you in the face with that shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how could it be more on the nose without sounding fake? Really? <laughs> so number three. For the scene where Anna stitches Kenneth's wounds, the director hired a real nurse for the close-ups. She misunderstood the director's uh, directions to go deeper and inadvertently punctured Ving Rhames' skin and stitched the prosthesis to his arm. Oh my God. <laughs> he didn't say anything until after the scene was done filming and the director thought the blood was merely a really good effect. Holy shit. What a fucking trooper. <laughs> right get that man an oscar like right now jesus can you imagine on set i'd be like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) you would have jajahed you would have slapped her bitch (laughs) holy shit so the last one and my personal favorite 
So the shot where they threw a wrapped body off of the mall's roof was filmed across the street from a church during a funeral service. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who the fuck was making this movie? That nurse and that? Jesus. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) And not funny. Oh, I'm laughing. It is funny. You know what? I'm not going to apologize for my laughter. (laughs) Because I wasn't the one throwing some wrapped up fake corpse at a funeral (laughs) surface. (laughs) Okay. It was good. Thank you, Chris. Those really were fun. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Okay, here at the Foam Flamers, we have a list of questions we like to ask about every movie that we watch, and Dawn of the Dead 2004 is no different. So first of all, Chris, and I don't know why I'm asking this question, is Dawn of the Dead a horror movie? Yes, obviously. Yes, it's straight up. Yeah. I mean, zombies, gore, it's it's a horror movie. So uh, were you yep. were you scared while watching the remake of Dawn of the Dead? No, and I don't think I was when I first watched it either. Um, I think there's a lot of disturbing moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even remember if there was any jump scares or anything. But uh, yeah, definitely some disturbing moments. But I don't think I was ever scared. Maybe tense, you know? Um, they didn't really give you a chance to like have a creeping dread like the, yeah. the first one. You know, this was um, kind of all on the surface. And it was more just like a horror eye candy show, you know? Yeah, I mean... With I, some cool bells and whistles. I agree. It's... it's um to me, this is it's an action movie, obviously, right? And they, you don't really have enough time to get to know your characters or to live in a situation long enough to like feel scared. Um, I think they were really going for more shock than than anything else. Shock and awe. Yep. Shock and awe. And um, this is sort of a precursor to what would follow. <laughs> I'm every woman. Um, <laughs> This is sort of a precursor to what would come later on with torture porn, right? So, I mean, I think that, you know, they were they were going for these really gory effects and gory moments, and they did, but you know, it wasn't too much long after they were trumped by movies like Saw and Hostel and, oh, sure. and things like that, you know? So, I, I don't think that they were really going for scares more. They were going for gross. And there, yeah. there are some moments that uh, they achieve that, but even to me still, I, I feel more grossed out watching the original one than i do watching this one definitely with the intestines and stuff oh yeah yeah yeah. there's like there's no innards really in this movie so i don't know it's much more like matter of fact in the in the original versus this one's like look at this yeah look at that like yeah all the zombies are running too fast for me to be scared of them i don't really get a good look at the zombie theme park yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so uh so out of five stars what would you rate dawn of the dead 2004 you know, I have really fond memories of this, and it's so well produced and put together, and it's just a really solid horror movie on its own. You know, I would give it like a four for that, but I'd probably give it a two or a two and a half compared to the original. So I'm going to have to kind of meet in the middle and say this is a three and a half for me. It's almost one of those things where, you know, like Alien and Aliens, where one is a better film and one is a better movie. I think this is one of those situations. I give it a four stars. I, I I enjoyed this movie the first time that I saw it in the theater, and I subsequently saw it like two or three more times in the theater. And I watched it a lot after it came out on DVD. Um, but I was also, you know, 
24 years old and living alone and I had nothing but time to watch this movie over and over again. And then after that, yeah. I sort of like it fell by the wayside and I, I did remember it fondly. And on, on this particular rewatch, I still enjoyed myself. I think it's an enjoyable movie if you separate it from canon, you know? So yeah, four stars all the way for me, despite its flaws. I think it's a fun ride. Yeah. So finally, who is the hottest guy in the remake of John of the Dead? You know, I wouldn't have said at the beginning, but I don't know, near the end, I was just so impressed with the acting and the character evolution of uh, Michael Kelly's uh, CJ. I kind of have to say him. I think uh, this is like two times in a row now that we're agreeing. I think that Michael... Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought you were going to say Jake Weber for sure. I mean, like, in real life, I'd end up with Jake Weber, you know? Like, he's he's <laughs> the guy I'd marry, but Michael Kelly is the guy I'd fuck, you know? <laughs> so I'm like... <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's his character. Maybe it's his face. I don't know. I just like him in this movie. And I think you are Michael Kelly in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'd be Michael Kelly trying to fuck Jake Weber. There you go. That's how my movie would play out. I don't know. I think he's kind of hot. I mean, it's the mustache. He's got the whole, like, I don't know, really jerk attitude in the beginning going on. And I, maybe I'm just attracted to assholes. I don't know. But, but yeah, I think I agree with you. I think he's the hottest guy. I kind of, when I first saw this movie though, way back in 2004, I had a little thing for Terry, the like boyish security guard who fell in love with the oh, redhead. Yeah, when I was younger, probably. <laughs> yeah, but now that I'm older, like he just looks prepubescent. I know. I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, what was I thinking back then? And he was probably our age, you know, when we first watched this. Probably, you know, you know but now he looks. I mean, in the in the context of the movie, obviously he's aged at this point. But I was just like, he's a child. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess we were children comparatively when we first watched it. Oh my God, fucking fifteen years ago. Jesus, <laughs> why do you have to say sixteen it like years that? ago? <laughs> Almost sorry. 20 years ago. <laughs> Fuck me. The better part of two decades ago. Jesus. This I'm, came out. I'm old. <laughs> yeah. So I can't say the new one. I just have to say the 2004 <laughs> version. Because there's probably someone remaking it right now again. <laughs> so. uh, well, guys, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Dawn of the Dead 2004. Let us know what you think about the movie and our discussion on it. We're always curious to hear your thoughts. You can do that on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Litterboxd. And you can also email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call us at 972-666-7733 and give us a voicemail and we'll play it on the air and respond to it. And guys, we love to list our uh, reviews on our Shooting the Flames episodes. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Just leave us a five-star review and a little snippet of why you like us, and we will read that on the episode. We also like to list off our new patrons on Shooting the Flames, so head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers. You can find all of our bonus content and get early access to 
episodes for as little as two dollars and on patreon this month we'll be covering the film 13 women so check that out and listen to our top 10 slashers episode for a little more context on that if you want to know the history and how it relates to slasher movies that's right i think this is the first flashback episode where chris and i neither one of us has seen the movie so exactly we are Mm -hmm. both looking forward to watching it on our main feed next month we have a lot coming at you and it's april and you know we like to talk about the horror comedies so do your homework and rewatch, or maybe watch for the first time cabin in the woods well before we pack our bags and hop in the truck and head down to the crossroads <laughs> head down to the crossroads <laughs> where we'll make our way to the cabin in the woods uh, let's take some rest and have some sweet, sweet dreams, dreams. Seriously, crossroads mall. <laughs> Just get, I can overlook a lot of things, you know what I mean? But that's like the one. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No mall would be Zomb called Zombie Apocalypse anyway. Mall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, come on. Anything. Anything but Crossroads. Crossroads <laughs> is a Britney Spears movie. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Don't even put that in here. That's a horror movie we should cover. Oh, damn. I've never seen it. Uh-uh. Glitter. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> mm.